Hello, I am Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. This past month has seen some pretty horrific stories in the news. 215 unmarked graves for children in Kamloops. And last week, a horrific act of Islamophobia resulting in the murder of an innocent family out for a walk in London. If we're going to be honest, these events have shaken this country to its core. Canadians from coast to coast to coast are facing some hard truths and hard questions about the existence of racism in this country. Is this ingrained in our DNA? Is this the truth that we deny ourselves between hockey games and sips of Tim Hortons? Is that warm and cozy image of Canadiana just a thin veneer for something darker about ourselves? We aren't bold enough to make a statement one way or another about that on this podcast. However, it is the national debate we are poised to have with ourselves currently. One of the aspects of this debate is the response of institutions to the events of London. Quickly, this country went into a predictable response mode. Our national and political leaders quickly converged on London to denounce racism and Islamophobia, and our national media took to the papers and airwaves to ask, how could this have happened? All of this is predictable. Why is that? Why is it the same questions being asked and the same platitudes being given? Why, after the Quebec mosque shooting, the last notable act of Islamophobia in Canada, wasn't concrete action taken? These are the questions that Roland and I have been asking ourselves, and they are some of the questions we are discussing with our guest today. Sarbjeet Kar has been a vocal online and critical of the response to the London attack by the media and our politicians. Sarbjeet is currently co-founder of KPW Comms, a GTA-based communications consulting firm. She is very vocal on issues relating to topics of anti-racism, diversity, and equity, and we invited her on today to discuss this important issue. Now, before we begin, we do want to invite you to join our Patreon. Topics like this are important to cover and to discuss. However, we are only able to do so with your support. By clicking on the link in the show notes, you'll be helping us tell this story and many others that need to be told in the 905. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, well, I'd like to thank uh, Sarbjeet Carr for uh, coming on to the, uh, to the 905 uh, today. Thank you very much for taking the time from your, your busy schedule to, uh, to spend a, a half hour with us or so. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, let's, let's, get, let's just dive into it because I don't think there's a, a, an easy way to frame this. Uh, after the, the aftermath of, uh, of the tragedy of, of London, uh, what do you make? What do you make of this? Uh, you know, we had like the uncovering of 215 unmarked graves of Indigenous children earlier in the month. Then we have the tragedy of this family being murdered in London. What 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 do, what do you take of this? This just how how is your brain processing this news? I, I guess uh, in our in our country today. I think it's been a really heavy time. I mean, uh, you know, hearing these series of really, really sad incidents and in the news and, uh, you know, as people are looking forward to getting life back to normal, so to speak, and then to have these, these terrible um, things happen and these revelations made, they just remind us again and again that, uh, you know, there's still problems happening, historical wrongs that we haven't yet addressed, we haven't really acknowledged or made amends for. And then there's still current day problems and, uh, 
both systemic um, issues around racism, equality, diversity, and of course, these criminal acts, acts of violence that are fueled by hatred. So I think it's just a reminder that, you know, we're still grappling with these these issues. They're still very serious. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're here a lot uh, in, the, in the aftermath of events like London. Um, it's almost like, like a predictable script almost that we hear in in, in the public discourse, you know, you know, things like we need to address racism and stop it wherever it is. And, you know, but we, we never hear a plan being put forward to, to do this. Um, and I know I, there were a couple of examples have been brought to light. Uh, Bill M103, uh, I believe is the, the correct terminology, uh, but it was to condemn Islamophobia uh, in Canada. And that was deemed to be too controversial by the conservative party. And that, you know, that was a big debate in, in the House of Commons. Uh, and then uh, yesterday, uh, Mitzi Hunter, who's a, a liberal MPP for uh, Scarborough, put forward a similar motion in the provincial legislature to, you know, just can we all universally condemn Islamophobia? And that was put down by the conservatives. And I'm just wondering, why, why do you think it's so hard to take like some, just these small actions that I think would go a long way uh, to address the, the, these issues, why why is this such a hard hard thing for our our government and our, our political leaders to take? I think the biggest hurdle we have is the defensiveness that comes with talking about these things. How can we take steps to solve a problem when we can't even acknowledge the problem exists? And you see this in a one-on-one basis if you try to talk about racism or inequality or white privilege, um, you know, with people who may be white and their immediate reaction is often to take it personally, to try to defend. I mean, you know, I think we can all agree that most of us are very happy to be Canadian, very proud of our country. We acknowledge there are many good things about this country. But when we get down this road of, you know, it's not that bad or there's other countries that are worse and it's it's just a one-off, then we cannot actually do anything to solve the problem because we're not really dealing with it as a serious problem that is not a one-off. There's a wealth of data, statistics, um, information to support that we have these problems. We've always had these problems. And we get sidetracked with these conversations about how bad the problem is or, uh, you know, not all not all white people are like this. I mean, nobody nobody says they are. But um, I think that's where some of these, these the resistance comes from. And some of these conservative political parties, they get that pushback from certain elements of their base, and they're not willing to stand up and say, no, this does exist, and also to put resources and action behind it. It's interesting that Mitzi's, um, you know, her, her, her motion or her, what she requested was also to reaffirm commitment for the anti-racism directorate, which would require not just words, but some action. And they don't want to make that commitment which just tells you how seriously they take the problem or the fact that how serious it is for them to push back against some of their voters that they won't do this, even in the face of, you know, a family that's been murdered. Uh, That actually leads into a question that I wanted to ask, which is, you know, the last few weeks with, with these kind of stories coming hot on the heels of each other, which are obviously very, very different. One is about history, one is about the present day, but both are to do with, race obviously um i wondered it feels to me like amongst some people at least there is a tipping point on on both the kind of first nations issue and the issue of islamophobia 
However, obviously, <laughs> a lot of people, we haven't reached that tipping point because for all those declarations of, you know, this is unacceptable in our country, blah, 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 when someone asks for uh, actual tangible action to happen, we're immediately back to no, you know. Uh, so do you do you think there's a, a something of a tipping point happening in Canada where people are trying starting to treat this thing more seriously? And I'm just thinking of that, the kind of, uh, you know, I came to Canada in 2003, and for much of the time since then, there's been that kind of story of, Canada is different. Canada doesn't have the race problems that other country, countries have. That's been the story that is very common in society, uh, which a lot of people really do not want to give up that, that story, despite the evidence that we're seeing. Do you think people are now beginning to, A, understand the extent of the problem, and B, maybe be, be more willing to seriously get to grips with it? I think so. I think definitely, especially, you know, the discovery of the 215 uh, children has just changed everyone's awareness and heightened the level of awareness of the in current and past issues um, that the Indigenous community has faced. And then, you know, it's a terrible thing that happened, but it seems almost uh, the timing is interesting. But then we see this current day Islamophobia and people really get to see the connection that, you know, they used to say, well, that was in the past. The past is in the past. And they really can't say that anymore. I think one of the reasons people struggle to actually take action is because it's not clear what that action is or what it should be. And it's not an, an easy thing to fix overnight. But, you know, there are things that can be done and uh, we need to start thinking about doing those things, um, which could be a long term, will definitely be a long term term commitment. And instead of just, you know, trying to just hold the vigils, thoughts and prayers, putting out tweets and then waiting for the next incident to happen, because they inevitably do happen and they will happen. They take a toll on everyone. They're not one offs that are only affected by you know one family or one community when everybody feels that devastation and that heartache and that fear, the ripple effects when these things happen. Uh the, the the one thing that that I thought was interesting that uh, uh, this after the the London attack was um, there, there seemed to be a bit more of a, uh, a soul searching at least in London uh, I saw I know that's out of it's kind of outside of our our, our purview but there's there's a there's a post that's been going around on social media by Jeff uh, Barnett who's a, a the former uh, London progressive conservative candidate um, that he 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 he's basically calling out his own, I'm going to say uh, side of the political aisle. I don't think it's necessarily his party, but I definitely think the, the people that would support the conservatives or progressive conservatives in a typical election kind of calling them out and say, we need to, we need to look at our, our role in this. And you know, if we'll probably post a link to it in our show notes for people who may not have seen it. So you can read it in its entirety, but it's a really, I think it's an interesting introspection of just kind of, kind of that polite Canadianism. Right, right. That you know, well, I don't want to talk about because I might offend you, and you know, we don't want to talk about it because it's it's best just to kind of put it off to the side. But he's calling it out. I, I'm, I'm not. I don't think it, it abstains him from being complicit in it, but I think it's a good start starting point to have that kind of introspection. And I bring that up because it, one of the questions I, I have is kind of the performative nature of some of the things that we see our, our leaders do, especially in these in these horrific incidents and there's a lot of 
this being being called out, especially by in London and around the country, is that you know at the vigil to to mem- to remember the 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 family that was lost, um, you know Doug Ford was booed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know that that at at a vigil. I mean, this is a very solemn occasion, and people took the time to boo him. Same as uh, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole is being called out on social media saying you you did not you you thought M- Bill M one hundred three was unnecessary and 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 whatnot. What, maybe as a, from and put on the political hat for a moment and just what do you take from that? Is that do the conservative and right wing sections of our political spectrum need to have a gut check moment uh, in terms of how, how they address this issue going forward? Yeah, I think they, you know, they need to stop sucking and blowing. They can't be putting out campaigns based on division and, you know, a snitch hotline or a niqab ban and then, you know, act all aghast when there is Islamophobia on the rise. Um People know. People are not stupid. People know what's going on and they don't appreciate you coming to their communities when you're looking for votes and, you know, going to their places of worship, sitting with them, enjoying a cup of tea or whatnot and, you know, wearing the the head covering or whatever you need to do and doing the photo ops. That used to work 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, where people were just happy that you were there and uh, giving them a bit of time a day. And I've been a journalist in main, multicultural media and mainstream media, and I understand multiple languages. So I would always notice when they would come to a crowd and say certain things to that crowd, like, oh, we support immigration, we support uh, family reunification. And then they would speak to an English audience or their policy platform would come out and it would say something like, no, we would like to restrict uh, immigration levels. So you know, those days are gone. People can connect the dots of what you're saying and what you're doing. And uh, I think in their own mind, they might be a bit delusional that this is not connected to that. They think that these are these are different matters so that when you put out an ad calling uh, something about the borders and the borders with the red spread, you know, these very ominous images that this is what's causing COVID and it's coming from outside of the country and it's not within our borders. And uh, they may not honestly see the connection that these things, this kind of rhetoric, this kind of othering of other people, blaming people for whether it's COVID or, you know, Trump called it the China virus. This is all connected and people have had enough of it. Uh, that it does. That kind of goes a bit into what we're saying about, about the politeness of Canadian racism is that, you know, everybody said, well, that's just how people talk. That's just... That's just how 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 things are said. You know, I, I I don't mean to to be racist, but that's just how things are said in my, you know, in my friend with my friends or my neck of the woods or or whatever have you. And again, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but you know, Jeff uh, Burnett's uh, um, statement at the end, he said we can't we can't uh, uh, accept the the phrase like oh that's just grandpa's that's how grandpa was raised that's that's what they said back in the day. Which is, I'll be honest, it's something I've heard. I've heard a bit in in private circles that you know that's just that's just how we talk. That's just you know we don't mean anything by it. And we, I you know I'm, I'm, I don't have a question, but this is more of a statement is that words matter. We we have to accept that words matter and what we say matters. And you can't if you you have this like uh, you know what I you know what I mean. No, say what you mean. It's you need to be a bit more honest about this. If I just follow up on, on on Joel's point there, I mean it's it's very much I think. People like Joel and I, who 
have probably lifelong anti-racist, I hope. Um, but we noticed that, you know, you go to the barbecue with the uncle, with the uncle, you don't see that often. And it's the, it's the race equivalent of locker room talk, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, we don't mean it. We're just laughing around. And it's like, no, you do mean it. You totally mean it. It's, it's, and the most annoying thing is the, uh, is that thing. <laughs> if you challenge it, you're the asshole. You know? <laughs> um, it's like, oh, what are you making a fuss about, brother? You know, I'm just being a, just a joke. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not good enough. This is the kind of turning point, I hope. I mean, I mean, both with the, the gender issue and the, the race issue, is people like us do just have to challenge it every flipping time. Um, because it's the only way that, that it, yeah, things are going to change. Um, leading on from that, um, why do you, I mean, it's almost too ridiculous a point to make, but. Um, is it is racism ultimately just as simple as that horrible person in London, that fool, probably didn't know or had never met or in a, in a proper sense, other than okay, you meet colleagues, you don't know your colleagues, but did not know any Muslims, uh, didn't know Muslims who who maybe uh, are more visibly Muslim, if you like, who dress uh, in a traditional way of the countries they came from, and that if he did. He would have realized what wonderful people they were, and that would have been. Is it that simple that we, you know, if we could just start accepting that, you know, a Canadian doesn't have to wear uh, jeans and a t-shirt and a, and a baseball cap, um, you know, if there's all kinds of different Canadians that we could deal with this thing. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. I mean, the big reason that I'm really in favor of one public school system, not any kind of a segregated system based on religion or private schools or based, you know, it, it, I think if we have our children going to school in mixed classes, that exposure, that education is worth so much. Um, and yet, even within Canada, as you see in America, our communities are becoming even more and more segregated. And, uh, that's a problem. And the education that you're they're getting in different schools, like I noticed a huge difference between my old neighborhood, um, the, the, the mix of the children, but also how they celebrate Black History Month, things like that. And the schools that have a large a mixed population, they do more. The schools that don't, they don't, and they need it more. So there's not even a uniform kind of uh, curriculum built in where the education of understanding um, you know, the diversity point of it, the international view, the fact that everything that happens, this divide and conquer politics, this has happened throughout history time and time again in many countries. And to your point, um, I believe the, uh, the perpetrator in London, he was homeschooled, um, at least for some of the time. So there is also that isolation. And of course, often it's, you're getting it from the house, and it might be, like you said, these little innocuous comments where they thought it wasn't, you know, that serious. You don't know which child or which person is going to pick up on something that is supposedly, you know, a light comment or a light kind of uh, atmosphere of racism and then go delve into something and take it to, to a very, very extreme level. So I think education is key. Um, integration, mixed neighborhoods, having exposure, travel, 
you know, that's interesting. They say in America, one of the reasons that uh, they're very xenophobic is they don't travel. Some some parts of the country, they just don't travel. They literally have never had a chance to see or talk to people from different communities. If it, that, that, it's just two things from kind of my childhood, admittedly in a very, we're in a different country, a country with worse problems in some ways. Uh, but I remember the most racist parts of Britain were the places where everybody was white. Um, and uh, you know, the, there was no uh, mixture. And the other thing was that exactly that point that I grew up in a town called Slough, West of London, a very large Pakistani and Indian um, population because it was a big trading estate. So our schools were very much, you know, our parents' racism was just completely endemic. Um, but their their children were going to school with 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 people from all kinds of different backgrounds, with with you know Hindus and Muslims and uh, multiple different religions and cultures, and it just changed everything because it's like you can't be like that in that kind of uh, atmosphere. Well, it's much more difficult. I'm not saying we were all cured overnight. That would be far too optimistic, but it certainly changed my outlook as someone growing up in. Uh, a very bad environment and not not i'm not talking about my family necessarily but the, the 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 culture that i lived in you know it challenged that and it made me realize this is this is not right you know at a fairly young age um so i'm just really just emphasizing how right you are that that education point is really absolutely uh fundamental and it uh, do you think you know, what could we build into our schools? What could we do to make sure that homeschooled children too cannot leave, live and not know their fellow Canadians at a decent level? Mm-hmm. I do think uh, anti-racism and, uh, you know, courses around equality should be mandatory. Um, I don't know if it's at middle school or at high school, but uh, right now it's kind of optional. And if I feel like Indigenous history the Holocaust, um, you know, genocide, uh, our own racism. These are things that every child needs to understand, both in the concept of how it leads to, in the context of politics, how it's used to divide and conquer people and what happened in Rwanda and what happened, you know, uh, there is a steps that happen that you can almost pull apart how these parties or you know leaders use this divide and conquer and uh these tactics to for their own ends and if people understood that they might have a better awareness of not a falling into that trap and being pawns to that and b being able to it's like almost like media literacy you can you can see it when i see certain media outlets i can read the slant i can understand what they're trying to do how they're trying to influence their little tactics but uh, not everyone can see that and we have that critical thinking and that critical eye so i think that's really important to to make that mandatory especially in places where maybe there isn't a lot of diversity because um, it's you can't leave it up to people to have the the curiosity or that desire to learn because all these courses are available. But sometimes the people who need it the most are not are not uh, taking that taking that initiative to learn. And then it's a very frustrating for other people as well to try to explain basic concepts to them. And you know the fact that what is systemic racism? I think everyone should know what that is by the time they reach high school. Well, uh, you you brought up a good point, uh, and it's actually one of the questions I. I had uh about our curriculum um 
you know, we, the previous Ontario government, the previous liberal government, uh, brought in efforts to introduce, um, measures to not just for, to combat, uh, Islamophobia, racism, but also homophobia and, um, education on in the indigenous histories of this, of this province. Um, the current PC government, again, I'm coming back to the conservatives, deleted a lot of that stuff or just said, no, we're going to stop it because it's just, you know, I don't know, politically correctness run amok and, and, you know, it, it's unnecessary. And this, this is just, you know, leave that, that should be up to the parents to, to, to teach that stuff. Are we, I'm not, I'm not blaming this entirely on the, the, at the doorstep of this current government, but this seems to be a current trend that we see in the, in the right wing political spectrum of, oh, don't, don't change, you know, why do we have to touch it? That's just politically correct. You know, social justice run amok nonsense. And I want to, can you just, you know, what, what would you say to the, to that thinking that, cause I guarantee you there's probably somebody listening to this episode right now thinking, oh, that's just, you know, more, more commie pinko trash that we're, that we're putting forward. What, what would, what would you have to kind of say to that point of view? This is not a new area of study at all. I mean, there is so much information, so many statistics, so much uh, really good quality, um, you know, learning material that people can use and educators can use to teach people about history, facts, um, techniques that we can use. It, it doesn't have to be experimental ideas or whatnot, just the basics of how, um, what things mean? What what does privilege mean? What does uh, diversity mean? What is the history of genocide in this country and other countries? You know, there are certain politicians, they have a lot to benefit by people remaining somewhat ignorant on these issues. You know, if people start getting a little bit uh, more interested, they look at them and they say, well, what are you doing? And these are the same parties that are trying to cater to these people and feed into it because that's, again, that little wedge that they can drive to get people emotionally invested in their party. And it's quite uh, disappointing because people should run on policy. They should run on, you know, economics, uh, the, the climate, environment, jobs in the community. Whenever I see a party trying to run on, you know, abortion or religious rights and this and that, I'm like, that's not what you're there for. You're there to run the country and just stick to that. And if you're doing other things and trying to talk about other things, I'm thinking you don't really have a policy or a platform or a strength in those other areas. Um, and that's also what people might start discovering and seeing if, if they get a little bit more educated on what these issues are. There's, um, yeah, and I, I think it, from that point, we have to mention that that, that slogan that, that uh, Aaron O'Toole has been using of, of take Canada back, which is seems to me is utterly unforgivable, unforgivable, mm -hmm. long before this, these events in London. I mean, it's just, it is such an obvious dog whistle. Um, it's, it's actually in some ways worse than Make America Great Again, because that was like about doing something into a country. And th I mean, we all know what was behind it, but you know, whereas Take Canada Back, it's like, from what? You know, if it's mm -hmm. not these new people who are different from us, then what else is it? I mean, you can say, well, it's about Justin Trudeau, take it back from him. No, it's not. Come on. We know, we know what you're talking about. 
I know, as dog whistles go, it's more of a dog trumpet, it seems to me. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, the Federal Conservative Party and a lot of other parties, they've tried these tactics before and they haven't worked for them. It did not go well for Kelly Leach's leadership campaign. It did not go well, the, you know, the d- two-tier citizenship. So either they're really out of ideas or they're just, you know, trying to do the same tactics again and again that failed. It's not even politically astute. You know, a lot of people were are missing a conservative party that provided an other option that was more about fiscal responsibility or whatnot. Uh, this party is is something very different. And it's, it's kind of funny to me that they don't realize that it's not working. And I, I really hope and I have a lot of faith in Canadians that it will continue to not work and they might eventually hopefully get the message to get back to, you know, the business of politics versus these culture wars. Um, I, I, I want to take a step away from the, the politics angle because I think there's another uh, institution that needs to be examined and that's the, the role of the media. Um, we, we, you know, I, we don't know what the story is with the, the gentleman. No, I'm not going to call him a gentleman. Uh, the, the guy, the, the, the young man in London who, who's accused of doing this uh, horrific act action. We don't know exactly what happened, but we've heard stories that he was seen, uh, afterwards, dressed in body armor and military style wear and then wearing swastikas on his clothing. That's what we've alleged to, to have heard. I'm immediately, my, my mind went to thinking of the same, the same young man who, uh, shot the, the Quebec mosque. And, uh, you know, these young men who are isolated and alone and, I'm not going to be surprised if we find out from his internet history that he was reading uh, certain far right media op- operations that I'm not going to quote because they're very litigious mm-hmm. and I don't need mm-hmm. to deal with that, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping everybody knows who I'm talking about. Um, but th- just these, these online far right dog whistle media outlets, and you can say, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're a clown and forget them. But I also want to point out that National Post and the Sun, the the Sun media chain, are just as guilty of of this dog whistling uh, nonsense. That you know, this is the mainstream. They're supposed to be a reputable newspaper. They're supposed to guide the national conversation about the issues of the day. And you know, uh, it, for example, right after the 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 tragedy in London, National Post uh, ran a, a piece by Rex Murphy. Uh, who, who, you know, was saying, you know, what, whoa, the white man. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And it, like, what, what, what's your, what's your take on this? Like, cause I'm, I'm going off on a rant here and I want to, <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, sorry, we yeah. do that. I mean, it's a tough one because there's the obvious and extreme, you know, little web blogs and whatnot that I think can definitely be, uh, cracked down upon and taken more seriously. But it's not in all these dark corners of the net. It is like, you know, McLean's has covers, Muslim invasion, this and that. And really the only recourse we have there is just to basically as consumers put pressure on these outlets to to really understand. And again, this is where the education piece comes in for everyone to think about how this can, can harm. I really look at some of those outlets um, who their funders are, the ones that are not legitimate media outlets. Um, 
you know, the one that I think the one that you're talking about that likes to sue everyone, where do they get money to sue everyone? Right. So there has been talk about, uh, you know, cross border funding, these international right wing um, uh, agendas that fuel money from, you know, rich right wing billionaires into these little me so called media outlets that have a lot of time and a lot of resources. And I think our government and our authorities need to start cracking down on them using whatever tools they have, whether it's uh, calling out, you know, foreign uh, funding or transparency or looking into how they're doing their taxes, because they need to start taking it seriously as if they would if it was some kind of other international terrorist network and, uh, you know, really starving them of funds. Uh, asking them a lot of questions and uh, looking at who's involved, monitoring them with the type of intelligence that they they use for other terrorist outfits. And uh, there was a time when, you know, they were uh, no fly lists and this and that. And people were harassed just for being brown because everybody was worried about ISIS and terrorism. But we don't see that same level of seriousness towards groups that are organized. Um, you know, thankfully, the Trudeau government did do something which I feel was very, very symbolic and useful by designating the Proud Boys as a terrorist organization. But all of law enforcement needs to start taking that same type of uh, approach, that this is a serious criminal organized threat. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because... I was having this conversation with my wife about like the radicalization of, of young men in this country. And I think my, my suspicions are, our leaders still have it in their head that it's this, you know, there's this secret organization off in the woods playing GI Joe waiting for a race war or, or whatever is going to happen. And that's not the case in the, in the modern age is we're seeing, uh, men like this, the, the London, uh, accused and the, the gentleman from Quebec who they're not, they're not part of a wider web, but they go online, they read this garbage and this filth and they get in their head that, oh, there's a, there's a, the faceless horde and it, they can substitute either with Islamophobia or with anti-Semitism or with homophobia or some other ism. It, it's. It, I find it's very. It's very. Substitute. They're able to substitute very easily. It's just whatever they feel can empower them by hating somebody else who's different than them, and they go out and they get a gun, and they or they don't even need a gun apparently, but they go out and they do horrific actions against innocent people. And we always have. We, then we. Then the media always says, "How could this have happened? Oh my gosh, we never saw it coming." Like really, you. you and, and I'm, I'm, I, it's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted you on this because I'm sick of having this conversation. Of, How could this happen? Oh my gosh, I, we never saw this happening. Really? Because I'm surprised it's not happening a lot more often around the country uh, with the, the rhetoric that you read in like the National Post and The Sun. Well, you see it afterwards, and this is often the case even with um, you know the, the men who commit crimes against women. Then afterwards, there's always, oh, all these red flags. And the red flags were often ignored. Um, you know, the man who, who shot all the people in Nova Scotia, his uh, right, 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 and her right. ex-wife, and tried to bring it to the attention of authorities so many times. So I think a part of it is just taking it seriously, taking it seriously as if, you know, we were told, if you see a, a backpack left at the airport unattended, let somebody know. We have to have that same seriousness about, 
even just things, you know, that we let slide. If someone walks by and tells someone a racial slur in a park or a drive through or a store, we say, oh, that's terrible. Nothing ever happens. I think if there was a knock on the door and there were charges laid every single time and people understood that, you know, you can't get away with this kind of stuff, it's very hard to get anyone charged with a hate crime. You have to do something very severe, but there has to be a bit of that zero tolerance so that, there's so many little incidents that embolden people to go further and to go further and to go further. Um, so it's at different levels, I think. And, and uh, there's another side to this as well, isn't there? That that you know, to what extent is are all these problems and globally outside Canada a problem? You know, we look at who are terrorists: the men, the very often young men. Um, uh, you know, whatever race they are, whatever country they're from. Uh, what is wrong with men that they do this? Um, what what has because it didn't always happen. is not happen, you know. Uh, something is amiss with masculinity or with the way we look at the world, or that you know. We and we, with all these debates about. Um, such as after the following this event, we we it's almost like we're we're missing the the common denominator out out of everything. That it's okay. Here's another young man. Okay, the guy in Nova Scotia was a bit older, but it's another embittered, angry man. Um, mm-hmm. What the hell? I mean, and I, I have no clue where I'm going with this, other than what do we do about it? <laughs> yeah. So to me, what's frustrating is that there's so much information now that we have at our disposal about, you know, toxic masculinity or the fact that within the genders, how we are taught to express emotions, anger, manage anger is so different. And yet we don't do anything to try to, in a very meaningful way, um, you know, move forward on some of this. Like I see for people who are conscientious and interested, they are raising their sons different or they're trying to say it's okay to cry or how do you communicate? How do you um, deal with someone who has maybe some mental health issues, depression? But it's, it's a very small still group of people. And this is where I really believe in, you know, mass education, getting to people early. You know, sometimes you have to cut out the parents or not rely on this, that it's going to come from parents or that there's responsible people in their life um, that are that are knowledgeable or capable of, you know, passing this on. So I do believe that uh, all of this information that we have, instead of fighting over it being political correctness or this and that, we need to start uh, implementing and rolling out some of these proven concepts that we know about, you know, it, you're absolutely right. Something is definitely wrong with men. There's another woman killed by her husband or her boyfriend, I think just today. And uh, femicide is another huge problem. So everything is inter- interconnected here. Yeah, yeah, we need to, yeah, I do. I absolutely think we need to stop seeing them as, as, as almost separate issues that, that this, this, yeah, the, the the violence against women, uh, the racism, the polarization of society we're seeing, it, it all seems an awful lot of it. Certainly when it comes to actually killing people, it always comes back to men. And, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's... And, it's I, and I would say what, what we do have positive is some when we have taken this kind of tact of having an official policy of multiculturalism. I mean, that's something that's a bit unique to our country that we had a government way back when that put forward an official 
policy of multiculturalism and, you know, at whatever levels it was rolled out and whatever that feeling that we have that we're different, a lot of it comes from that and some level of that this is not acceptable, but how much is it really in practice or how much are we doing to further that versus it just being, you know, something like we'd like to say that, yes, we are multicultural, but uh, how do we ingrain that and actually, you know, action that so that um, it does create a constantly evolving and improving cohesive society i just i, I just dive in quickly sorry joe <laughs> it's been my no last question because i see we're, we're running up on our time but you mentioned right back at the start um that defensiveness um that um sort of fragility of people who have always been in positions of 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 not being kind of challenged or positions of power positions of um privilege and so on how you know what can we start saying to people to persuade them that they don't need to fear this i mean i i will admit to things over the years being said where i felt that i felt within myself that hey wait a minute that's not me i'm not like that I, you know, sort of that kind of oh which is hopefully i i'm smart enough that i immediately then thought oh, don't be ridiculous you know but but i get it and that i felt it um how, how, what can we do to say to people, it's just okay. This is not going to take, this is not going to ruin your world or take things away from you. It's about making it better for everybody. Yeah. I think I always have to kind of preface every conversation like this is we're not talking about you personally, specifically, you might very well have a role in this. And uh, I think it's great when um, white people or men talk to other men and it's very helpful because it's quite exhausting. You know, I had a friend the other day who wanted, he always makes jokes about, you know, the white man is no longer a persona non grata, this and that, and kind of roll my eyes and be like, yeah, you're not, you're not oppressed, calm down. Um, but the one day he wanted to start a conversation and explain, I was like, no, no, I, I don't want to have this conversation. Like, go read about what privileges, this, that. Like, I, I literally don't have the time or the capacity to argue about whether privilege exists or whether, like, white men are, you know, feeling bad this today. Yep. I'm like, yeah, you yep. might feel that bad, but there's a lot there's a lot more pressing matters and the reason other than your, your hurt feelings, and you should really focus on educating yourself about the issues. So I really love sending people articles and that puts the onus on them and if they're genuinely interested they will read and I feel like it's up to them to do some of that so I would encourage uh, you know anybody to send people articles or things that explain in a simple way there's so much out there like little animated graphics I see very interesting things on TikTok social media so I feel like someone really wants to learn everything is out there for them to learn so I started to send kind of push back and be like you know uh, go take a course go read I can send you things but I don't want to sit here and talk about whether racism exists or not. Like yeah, we're past yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's helpful for people who are men or who are white to, to t- have those conversations or be able to do it because it can be frustrating for, for people of color who are trying to think about focus on solutions and someone else is like, you know, woe is me. What about me and all of this? And, there's, and I will admit almost too, uh, I'm sure it's a pay- it's always like I'm sure the woke people are almost as tiring. It's like the white guy trying to prove that he's actually one of the good guys. So um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I, I, yeah, I, I sympathize with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, for those who have patience, you know, 
that's great. And it's nice to be, to talk to people with patients. We always try. I try, you know, when I can, um, and understanding because I agree it's not a matter of that some people just get up and they're evil people. So it's always good to have conversations. But I think at some point, if you're sensing that someone wants to have an argument, then, you know, I, I try to just say, here, I can send you some reading material. And that's a really good test of if they're serious about learning and growing or they just want to fight and defend themselves, which which I'd rather not focus my energies on. On, on that note, uh, this is kind of my, my last question I have for this, this conversation, you know, do we, do we put too much emphasis on the individual to change their attitudes? And I'm thinking of a comparison between, uh, the argument for climate change and this and bear with me. Um, the, the, the argument for climate change was always that, oh, we need to change our actions, right? By, you know, reduce our, reduce, recycle, reuse, all that stuff. And it was that the individual could make the, the difference. And we've learned, no, it's at the industrial large scale level that we need to see change if we want to actually save the planet from climate change. And I bring that to this conversation because we're told, oh, you know, have that conversation with your friend and call them out for racist statements or racist attitudes and whatnot. And that's great. But are we actually going to change our society when we're talking with a systemic level of racism and we see, and I'm bringing it back to what we said at the start of this conversation where you have, you know, just the, the backup against the wall attitude by our elected officials, not to condemn Islamophobia to, to, you know, Oh, we need to fight back the PC culture in our schools. Let's, let's not educate children on this. We need to stop it. You know, this institutional level that, you know, this, this level, this is the, this is where our leaders are supposed to be taking action and we kind of give them a pass because, oh no, it's our, it's our responsibility. I, it's my, I have to talk to you and you have to talk to me and we have to sort it out ourselves. And I'm wondering, you know, should we start pushing back on our institutions like the media and like our politicians and saying, no, we demand better. I agree. I agree in policy. I mean, you can't rely on individuals to to make change on a one-on-one basis, nor has it happened. So I I like policies that say, you know, for instance, you know, 50% of boards think the federal government has done this, that 50% of crown corporations, they have to be women or they have to have, you know, certain number of visible minorities. Like you can be sitting around for 20 years waiting to tell people why it's a great idea and not seeing any change on those boards. So once you start bringing in policies at a mass level or like it's integrated right into the curriculum, this is the curriculum. Everyone needs to learn it. Um, You know, these are the number of days that are dedicated, uh, putting in programs. um, That's what I really believe in, especially at workplaces with um, policies or hiring practices, even in political parties, because you see it all the time. Everyone's like, oh, there should be more uh, diversity in politics, this and that. But the day that seat comes open, person wants to give it to their brother or their son, their husband, and it's very hard to give that up, that, that privilege, even though they might say and believe that, uh, you know, there should be more diversity, but who's going to actually take the action? So instead of leaving it on people, I, I believe in making like wholesale changes at a mass level through policy programs, procedures, um, versus, you know, the individuals who, who may or may not, it's not about their goodwill. I'm going to leave it on that note because uh, I think that's a good way to attend off this episode. Thank you very much, uh, Sarbjeet, for taking the time this afternoon to come on and, and chat with us. Um, we will have 
uh, all the, the links to what we're talking about in the show notes. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great weekend, guys. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.